Welcome to Technado. Hey, welcome back to another award-winning episode of Technado. I'm just kidding. I can't make that claim. Uh, I'm your host, Sophie. I'm going to be leading you on this magical journey into tech news slash security news. And I'm not alone. I am joined by Mr. Don Pizzette. Hey, Sophie. And, uh, you know, I actually, I think, didn't we, we, we won an award. Didn't we get the uh, J.B. Oh, Powers? <laughs> J.D. Powers. J.D. Bowers Award or JD, something. JD. Really? Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, uh, you know, we got a gold star. Oh. Or attendance, actually, I think is what we got. Yeah. But technically an award-winning show. Yep, yep, yep. So I can make that claim. <laughs> I will keep that in mind. Okay. And, of course, there's Daniel. I'd like to thank the Academy and God, of course, as you do, for our award-winning performance that we were, are going to make today now for you. And all the little people that you had to step on to get here. You know, uh, from what I understand in the rules of acquisition, <laughs> that, <laughs> what is it? Uh, employees are like rungs of a ladder. Don't be afraid to step on them. <laughs> wow. That's, new, that's a new one for me. I've never heard that one before. Okay. But yeah. Okay. In summary, Daniel would like to thank God and also Jesus. For the Star Trek nerds out there. <laughs> thank <that>. you. <laughs> okay. Let's go ahead and get into this first article. Um, this is actually... We're working on a course right now that has to do with Microsoft Endpoint. So as I was reading through this, I was like, cool, this is relevant to what I'm doing. Uh, it says, Microsoft upgrades Defender to lock down Linux gear for its own good. This is from the register. Uh, so it sounds like uh, Microsoft Defender for Endpoint offers this feature for Windows devices already, but now it works for Linux devices as well. Yeah, you know, this has kind of been a big gap in Windows Defender being a viable solution. So Windows Defender does a great job on Windows machines to the point where a lot of people don't feel they need third-party antivirus or anti-malware. They just use Defender, and that's that. Uh, and that works out well until you start bringing Macs into the equation or Linux servers into the equation or maybe Linux desktops. Well, Windows Defender has been ported over to these other platforms in the last couple of years. And and that was one of the comments the register was making was about how Satya Nadella has really embraced Linux and, and other operating systems. Well, on the Linux side, it was very, very basic what Windows Defender could do. And so they're adding on features. And the latest one is that we can now isolate infected machines. So when you get a security alert from a Linux box, you can isolate it from the network to stop it from spreading somewhere else. And if you've ever been through like a SOC 2 uh, audit or something like that, what they what they really want is whatever antivirus, anti-malware you're using, it's really got to have three features. So one has to report on whether or not your system is encrypted. You need to have uh, data at rest or your whole disk storage uh, encryption. You also need to have centralized logging, right? Reporting on if a machine gets infected, you need to get a notice. And the third is a way to isolate the infected machine. And so now Windows Defender kind of checks those boxes and it becomes a viable solution even on open source operating systems. Don, do you think that this bodes well for the Linux development community as is it's is it gaining the respect it deserves from Microsoft <laughs> as a, a viable operating system for someone's network? Uh, well, I, I, I think that might be going a little too far because uh, I will say <laughs> in terms of servers, I have deployed literally thousands of production Linux servers on the Internet accessible to the world with, with no antivirus or malware on them. Right. You know, if you properly harden servers and you have stateful packet inspection and other things like that that are on the network protecting your systems, then this is not really an issue. It, it really pertains more to like when you've got Linux desktops in the mix. And frankly, people just don't use Linux desktops. I, I know a lot of our listeners do, right? Yeah. Because you know, you're a hobbyist or enthusiast, you, you're a, a Linux diehard, but 
that is a super small percentage of the people that are actually using Linux desktops. Uh, most people are on Windows or, or even Mac. So why is uh, Defender spending all this time and effort creating uh, um, some sort of security lockdown for Linux operating systems? So this is more of Microsoft checking boxes, right? They, they want people to get into... The, the subscription model, right? So they, they don't want you to just buy an operating system like you used to. Or in the case of Linux, you're not buying it from Microsoft anyway, right? But if you want Windows Defender, that's one thing. But if you want to centrally manage it, like I mentioned a minute ago, you need uh, Intune, which is now Microsoft Endpoint Detection. No, what is it called? They, they changed the name, Endpoint Protection something. Um, so you need that stuff, which is a part of Microsoft 365, which has a subscription charge to it. So here's a service that Microsoft can sell you on that free Linux box you've got, and where now you're paying Microsoft. So that's really what drives it. it, it it's a good service, but that's really what's driving it is get it to be part of the Microsoft ecosystem. Yeah, there's no doubt. Like Defender is definitely a decent AV system. It does a really good job. I've I've fought with it plenty of times trying to get, you know, things to run. Uh, and uh, you have to do some finagling because it will go, hey, this seems like it's not good. I'm going to block that. I'm like, stop blocking my stuff. Is that what that noise is over here? Yeah, that's all those grunts and groans and swearing. What's the guy from Home Alone where, like, every time he moves, he's like, Oh, yeah, it was yeah. Uh, Harry. Harry, yeah. yeah. That's or that's Mar. the sound that comes. One of one of the two. Yeah, Harry, yeah. yeah. Joe Pesci. <laughs> he was like, wreck a wreck a wreck a I had a 50-50 chance know. of getting it right, yeah. It's Yosemite Sam. He does that, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, this was this was uh, new information for me as far as um, the idea that this was not something that was available for. It, like, it was only Windows. Microsoft yeah. didn't, didn't offer this for anything but Windows. You know, they, they started with mobile devices. They released it for Android. Okay. So you could actually protect your phone, and then they released it for Mac, and then they they were talking about iOS. I don't think they ever actually released anything for iOS though. Mm-hmm. Though, and then uh, and then they've they've rolled out for Linux, just the actual operating system, which is pretty slick. Yeah, expanding their empire. Everything the light touches is their yep. kingdom. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, cool. So that's that's that on that. Uh, this next one is from, I believe it's from Tom's Hardware. It says, Samsung confirms 990 Pro SSD firmware fix is coming soon. So it looks like the background on this was that customers have been complaining that they've had pretty severe health declines for their, for, specifically for this, the 990 Pro SSD. Um, so how do you fix something like this? Yep. So I, I remember when SSDs first came out, right? And they were expensive, really expensive compared to a spinning disk. And when you got a spinning disk, you could generally expect three to five years of usage out of it before the motor in it would give up the ghost or, or something, you know, and the, the drive would die. So when SSDs came out, people got really worried about, hey, I'm going to buy this really expensive drive. Sure, it's fast, but there's a limited amount of reads and writes that it can do. And it was usually like a 10 to 1 ratio. So you'd get 10 reads to one write, but after you did like a million writes, the drive would wear out. And modern SSDs today, so I'm talking about over a decade ago, well, if you fast forward to today, modern SSDs last a long time. But they do it, they they still have the same weaknesses they had before, but they do it by like randomizing where they write to and spreading it across the disk and, and so on. So they extend that lifetime. So it is very common to have SSDs now that will last a long, long time. I had one in a Plex server of mine that ran for, <laughs> I don't know, probably nine years uh, and oh. it was was still good when I shut that server down. So, uh, you know, they they last for a long time, but they do still fail. You you run out of rights eventually. You know, you wear the drive out. Sectors start to fail. It blocks those sectors off, and over time, the health of dr- the drive gets to a point where it can't work anymore. So that that's just something that happens with SSDs. Well, 
the Samsung 990 Pro, that's like their top-end SSDs. Uh, so, you know, they have like the 990 Evo, which is cheaper and, and whatever, but the 990 Pro is their higher end. And it was reporting its health dropping really, really rapid, like as much as 6% in a period of two weeks. Well, 6% in two weeks, that means that drive's not going to last a, a year, yeah. right? Maybe, maybe a year and a half. Uh, so people really started getting worried about it, and they thought the drive was failing. But it turns out there was actually a malfunction inside of the hardware uh, that it was how it was monitoring its health. And Samsung has come up with a fix for that, a firmware update that they're pushing out so that the drive will be able to measure itself properly. So the drives weren't actually failing faster. They were just measuring their Reporting it wrong. back to that it was being failed. Right? Yeah. yeah. Hmm. And I, I don't know, like, Daniel, have you had a different experience with SSDs? Like, mine, I, I've literally not had an SSD fail. Zero SSD failures in my experience and been doing this almost as long as you. So yep. hmm. um, SSDs are just great. I think in, in data centers, when you've got a database that's thrashing all the time and stuff like that, that's where you're going to churn through them. Oh, yeah. But for normal use case scenarios like laptops and desktops and stuff, yeah. they just don't don't fail. No. And then if you're doing your backups like you should, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, right? Not that big of a deal. Yeah. Well, in this case, though, I, I could see like if I just bought one of these, and they're not cheap, right? So if I just bought one and the health starts declining like that, that's, that's going to frustrate me. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the other thing is, like, how often do you guys think about updating the firmware on your SSD? Uh, it's ever since I don't work in a server room anymore, like the fifth and ever. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, that's the last time I thought about it. And you know, Windows Update or Ubuntu auto updates and stuff, they, they're not going to check for things like that. Yeah. You know, firmware update on your storage, that's just not something they look at. So I imagine there's going to be a lot of users that won't know about this. Yeah. And their their fail rate will continue. And maybe this time next year we can score some 990s cheap on eBay. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Put it in your Outlook calendar. Yeah, right. <laughs> 12 months from now, check That's eBay. That's right, eBay. <laughs> 990 SSDs. I meant to look before the show uh, on Amazon how much Fire these things sale. are going for. Because <laughs> uh, they, they aren't cheap. So it's a How Samsung. big are they? Like, what's the, what's the size they on them? They come this? in different sizes. Uh, I think one and two terabyte is the common one. So a one terabyte is $170. And... Uh, actually, is that all they have? Nope, two terabyte, two hundred. They're, they're fast as hell, though, right? Yeah, they're really fast. Yeah. So one ninety for a one terabyte, two ninety for a two terabyte. What's the read uh, rate on that? The rate? Uh, it has it listed at, and this is Samsung. I mean, not Samsung. Amazon statistics, Amazon, which are yeah. sometimes wrong, uh, but it is claiming upwards to fifteen thousand IOPS and six point nine gigabytes per second, which is pretty fast. That's not. That's not slow. That okay. Is, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, normally when I buy SSD and stuff, I, I worry about some of the fringe third party providers that are out there. I'm like, I don't trust that company. I've never oh, yeah. heard of it. It's the uh, Samsung. The, yeah. Well, uh -huh. the Chinese companies with six random letters. Yes. Have, have you guys Those seen are this? Fun. Yes. Have I we talked about so. that on the podcast? I don't think we have, but at least I don't, I don't remember so, no. it. All right. I'm going to show you guys this because it's, it's funny. Um, if, you, if you need something, and let's say it's. Um, a charger for your iPhone, yeah, right? So I need a new wall wart, right? A charger for the iPhone. And so I go on Amazon and I want to do this live here. So let's just go and I'll search for an iPhone charger. Um, and so I'll just search, right? Well, I'm not going to find Apple brand stuff. I'm going to find third parties. And when you start looking at the third parties, uh, they'll have their company names. And, and of course, I'm not no, saying, here we go. There, yeah. uh, and there'll be like six random letters stuck together. So here's Takagi, T-A-K-A-G-I. And 
I thought, all right, well, you know, maybe that's some Chinese, Chinese word, word that I, I don't know, yeah. right? Uh, but it's not. Like, they are literally using a random name generator that strings together six letters in a way that can be pronounced. Um, and this must be a bad example because most of these, <laughs> well, they're not listing their company names. Uh, or I've got my, my Zoom is too high or something. So is it like one manufacturer that will just have it listed for sale under like several different of these randomly generated names? So that's what I thought. But uh, there was one website, maybe it was Tom's Hardware, that tried to dig into it and find out who these companies were. And they're all like registered to different corporate identities and stuff. Uh, but there's just so many different ones. Here's uh, BKAYP, B-K-A-Y-P. We've got uh, Deltucci, D-L... D E L T U C I almost got extra letters. It's, uh, Stanley Tucci's brother Dell. Here's, here's a good one. C Q D K W G. Okay. D- six right. random letters stuck yeah. together. Like that that is it. And so when you see that, uh Zimtech X I M You know to hit the buy now. <laughs> yeah. So when I buy an SSD or something like that, yeah. I'm always worried about getting these these third party knockoff whatever yeah. companies. And so I will intentionally look for Samsung. Because I'm like, you know, here's a yes. reputable brand and, and something that I, I know will be safe to run. Um, so to see something like this happen on the Samsung one is, is frustrating. Uh, but at least lie. they put a fix. Sounds on. like yeah. six random characters stuck together. <laughs> Samsung. Seven. <laughs> seven, but yeah. Safe. yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It does. It's, they said that the fix is on the way probably later this month, so later in February. So not all hope is lost. We'll, yeah. we'll live. Well, we'll plus be okay. Your, your drive isn't really dying. Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's like my dad. Who, he's, he's been dying ever since I've known him. I'm dying, son. I'm dying. I'm like, dude, you are literally like 90 at this point. You have said this since I have known you. I'm 43. <laughs> I feel like you're not dying yet. Oh, wow. I love when we get bonus Daniel yeah. during, the, during the episodes. I learn, learn something new every day. So this next one is directly from the AWS uh, news blog, I think. Uh, it says, yes. heads up, Amazon S3 security changes are coming in April of 2023. So it looks like the, the change that's happening is that once changes are in effect, I guess, for a target region, all newly created buckets are going to have S3 block public access and access enabled by default and access control list disabled as well. But it also says that S3 buckets and objects have always been private by default. So what exactly is the big switch here? All right. So... If you've been listening to Technado for a while, or if you've been just watching IT news in general, you can't help but avoid the stories about companies leaking data due to improperly secured S3 buckets. It happens all the time. It happens to government agencies, contractors, large enterprises, school systems. They throw Guy's some name Don. <laughs> it hasn't happened to me yet, um, but... You throw some data in an S3 bucket, and your S3 bucket might have a random name or unique name you pick, and you say, you know what, I just need to access this real quick. Nobody knows the bucket's there, so I'm just going to flag it for public access. It Open. Open wide. Anybody can access this bucket. Nobody knows it's there, so it'll be safe, and then I can go and access it really easy. Well, it turns out people are scanning for these buckets, and, and they will find them, and whatever data you've got in there, they'll pull out. And this has happened in some really embarrassing cases where there was medical records, you had um, uh, therapy notes, you had uh, government applications, fingerprint databases, all sorts of crazy stuff is leaked out due to improperly configured buckets. So Amazon has been saying for years that they were going to change things. Uh, one of the first things they changed was they made it where buckets weren't public by default, right. but you were literally like a radio button away from making it public. It was just super easy. You just 
check a box and uh, or a little radio button, and yeah. that was that. Uh, so now they're putting in some slightly more aggressive changes. Now, this is not going to affect buckets that are already deployed. This is just new buckets. So if you work with AWS, some of your workflows may need to be updated as a result. But buckets will be private by default, like Sophie said. That That's already done. But they've changed it so that bucket-level policies. So you can create policies to define who has access to the bucket. And they want you to do it with IAM, their identity and access management. That's where they want you to write it. But in the past, you could do it in either place, on the bucket itself or in IAM. They're turning off the entire bucket policy system altogether. They're turning it off. So you'd have to turn on that policy system before you could write a bad policy to open it up. So they're, they're basically steering everyone over to IAM where they should be in the first place to write their policies. And that's probably the biggest change here to be aware of. If you've got some kind of automated deployment for S3 buckets and it's expecting to have a bucket level policy, that's going to break on, uh, what was the date? Sophie, did you catch the date? It was sometime. Uh, I think it's going to be April 2023 that this this starts to roll out. Okay, two Um, months from now. Yeah. Yep. So in, in two months, those workflows will break. So now's the time to think about it. Like, how do I rewrite that workflow to make sure it creates a bucket and instead of a bucket policy, creates an IAM policy like it's supposed to. Yeah, that's where like the AWS permissions get really tricky is that you can set them in IAM, you can set them on the object, you can you can set them all over the place, and it goes with the least permissive, right? Like, or the most you know, permissive. It doesn't. No. It doesn't? No. Oh, no, no, no. This is the tricky part, right? Because right. you, you think about like file permissions. Yeah. Windows. Windows, you have um, the right. like share permissions right. and then you have the file permissions and and those it's least permissive just like right, you right. said aws it's not it's not so i could have an outright deny all in my iam policy right but if it allows me on the bucket policy then you're allowed I'm that's allowed. what that's what i meant to say and if you flip it around the other way works too if i'm yeah. outright denied on the bucket and i'm permitted like it goes with the most permissive yeah, yeah that, that's what i meant to say not oh, okay. least permissive most right it just goes hey I see that you have permission to do this somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so that must mean you have permission to do this. Yeah. Go ahead. And and the best uh, best practice best. That's not the right word. See, it's not easy. Best, is it? uh, <laughs> best uh, the the recommended best practice, whatever the yeah. right phrase for that is, uh, has always been like don't use the bucket policies. Yeah. You use IAM policies, but the the bucket policies have been there. You you've been able to use them, and so now they're trying to force people over. Uh, you can still turn the bucket policies on, but you actively have to do that. So you really have to be willing to break security on this stuff. Yeah, you're gonna be like, I want the world to know that this is here, and people will still do it. They do. Yeah, they do love it. You know why? Because permissions stop you from doing stuff. <laughs> I don't have time. For I'm that. sick and tired of this not working. Just turn all this safety crap off. Oh yeah, we're living without seatbelts now. World's fun you know, time. <laughs> I, I think that's how it happens a lot of times. Like they're, they're troubleshooting it. something doesn't yep. work. Like you know, what? let me just turn this off for right. a second. And no, everything, everything's off. work, right? And they forget. Oh, I, I, I took all the you know brakes and stuff off of this thing yep and then it's working no one's complaining off we go yep yep <laughs> yeah this hill like looks the, steep the approach of like well i'm just gonna set this to you know public access because nobody knows it's here nobody's gonna find it but like websites like Greyhound warfare it's literally set up yeah. to look at all of the open buckets that are available and i'll go in and be yeah. like i wonder what's there what's and it's crazy bucket? the yeah. stuff that people just leave like out in the open for people to access probably not intentionally but i'm like oh that's they just have all their passwords in one document and it's just there and yep. it's probably not anything that i mean i'd hope it's not something that like a threat actor is gonna find or somebody's gonna yeah. take advantage of but it's like wow okay i'm gonna be real careful if i ever start to get into like using these amazon web services and for my own stuff What's this NVIDIA bucket? <laughs> <laughs> you know, does, does Shodan index S3 buckets? 
Does it index S3 buckets? Or do you know it, a tool that would let you scan for these? Sodium might do that because it indexes internet-connected devices, right? So it's looking for anything with a, a public IP. And then it kind of like writes that stuff down. Whether or not it tells you that that's S3 or not, I couldn't I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. All right. Um, there. So like Sophia mentioned Grey Hat Warfare. That tool's job is to index every S3 bucket it can find. Okay, so that would be the way to go. And, and I yes. think it does Azure Bombs, yeah. too. Like, it's not just S3. Yeah, yeah. They, they've kind of branched out a bit. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. All right. Yeah, and in fact, I so I, I Googled, and uh, Gray Hat was like the third yeah. response, but I clicked on the first one, and it's somebody linking to Gray Hat. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, apparently that's the one. So, yeah, if you can scan and find it, then... Right. So it's already... It's nice to use Gray Hat Warfare because it's already indexed. It doesn't have to do all the searching. It's already done the searching. It just now looks at this database and goes, oh, you're looking for, you know, IT Pro TV. Cool. There's the S3 buckets I've found that are associated with IT Pro TV. Yeah, so we, we actually do have a bucket that's open yeah. to the public, uh, but it's graphic assets for yeah, the website. Yeah, two, I think. Uh, do we have two? I've, I found two, yeah. Okay. Oh, well, like show notes or something. Yeah, but it, show notes we intend to be public. Yeah. It's not like employee personnel records. <laughs> <laughs> we we closed that down a long time ago. <laughs> you, you learned your lesson. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bite me once, shame on you. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for our tech news for this episode. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, but don't go away. We've got more Technado coming up next. We're going to get into our security news in just a short bit. So we'll see you in a second. A lot has been changing behind the scenes here, and we cannot wait to catch up with you in person at the MSP Expo in Fort Lauderdale from February 14th to 17th. The products you know and love, IT Pro TV, Audit Pro TV, and Practice Labs, are now training the modern workforce together as ACI Learning. Stop and see us at booth number 753 to see our shows on the big screens, to play our popular lock and key game, where you'll get a chance to win a pair of Bose headphones and other prizes, and most importantly, to meet our very own Ronnie Wong. Considered a subject matter expert in Cisco and with 11 tech certifications, Ronnie's an experienced IT pro edutainer. He can't wait to meet our learners in person. Welcome back for more Tech NATO. We're going to go ahead and jump into our security news segment, switching over from tech news. And can, can I just can I just go right into this first one? Because I'm excited. Sure. Okay. So this first one uh, comes from the Hacker News, and it says that the Linux variant of Clop ransomware is spotted, but it uses a faulty encryption algorithm. So to my understanding, this means that it the encryption algorithm is, is flawed, so it's possible to decrypt locked files without having to pay the ransom. Yeah, I, you know this kind of thing happens from time to time, but not not often. Where I mean, if you're if you're writing malware, it's hard to contain it because the whole purpose of it is to spread, right? And so it, it leaks out and starts infecting machines. And in this case, it seems like it just was uh, was half baked. Yeah, I did a little bit of a, a a deeper dig into the old Clop ransomware, and in the the Windows variant of this thing is quite robust and is very nasty, and you don't want to get it. And apparently. The, um, what's the technical term for people that do this? A-holes. Yeah, I think that's it, that, that have made this. Uh, they don't even, like, un, like, decrypt your files half the time when you pay them oh, the geez. ransom. Yeah. So there are those people. I think there is a, like, a Clop Leaks uh, forum somewhere where they're just leaking stuff because why not, right? And, mm -hmm. of course, there are people that didn't pay, and they leaked that information as well. But anyway, reading into this stuff now, What's interesting is in the Windows variants, so what it does is it takes your file, or you got file one, and it uses an RC4 symmetric key algorithm to encrypt that file, and then it renames it file1.clop, right? This is really fun. 
Okay, so then what it uses is an AES asymmetric public key to encrypt that RC4 key, right? Hmm. Yes, this is where it gets fun. Now you need the private key to decrypt the RC4 key to decrypt your file. And that's what they give you if you pay. They'll give you the decryptor, which contains that private key, which can then decrypt these files. That's in the Windows version. But in the Linux version, like you say, Don, a little half-baked on this, not quite ready for prime time, as it were, because instead of using that AES asymmetric key pair, they just ran RC4 again with a symmetric key and then saved that master master key in a variable called, I wrote it down, what is it, what, what do they call it here? Uh, S S Z key key. Okay. Key key, right? Or key in it. So. Yeah, so it had key in it. So all you had to do was basically like decompile the program and look for that variable and the value in that variable there's your decryption key. Hmm. So it wasn't really broken. It just wasn't done well, right? Now, if, if you're like, I'm scared of CLOP, yes, CLOP is bad. You get it through the you know various and sundry ways in which we get these things through email, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you, Dan. Clicking links. There's so many opportunities to make a joke here I've not I, made yet. I know, I know. <laughs> but I do have one joke. One of my favorites was, as I was researching it, they said, you get this through email, you get this through, you know, links, uh, uh, exploits in your operating system, uh, pornographic websites. And I went, oh, so if you surf porn, you might get the clop. <laughs> 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 it seems fitting. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> but there you go. That's how this works. And that's why this Linux variant isn't as robust as its Windows counterpart yet. Now, I, I saw where Sentinel Labs mm -hmm. released a decryptor. So yes. if you get infected, you can go to Sentinel Labs, download a decryptor. Yep. Does that mean that it was the same uh, the same uh, secret like key, key yeah. for every infected system? So what they did was, oh, I, I looked at the, it's written in Python, so I checked out the Python code. It was in a GitHub repo, so you just can look at the code. And basically what it ends up doing is... It will try one of three things. I think it will try to look and see if the SZ key key value is is readable, and if so, what is that value, and then use that. It will try the one value that they saw with when they encrypted things with it and uh, their value of that, and then there was another, a third one I can't remember off the top of my head, but so it will absolutely try that value, which makes me assume that they're fairly certain that that will work in multiple hmm. areas all right well you know a couple of unique things here so uh you know one it's it's ransomware that runs on linux mm -hmm. right which is getting to be more and more common so those systems are not unprotected anymore or not wait not, not protected <laughs> by their because you used to say like ah nobody's gonna write a virus for yeah, linux i got linux it's becoming more and more popular to do that uh which i guess goes back to the windows defender thing about why they would release yeah. right? on linux um they're coming up man <laughs> but also, you know, this might just be a trial run for Clop, and this yeah. is version 1.0. And I would assume that that's where we're at with this, is that they are just going, well, let's just see if it can spread and do its thing. And we're not really worried about, you know, pulling a bunch of ransom off of this thing. But <laughs> as, as long as all the other bits are kind of working, we can go back and, and re-engineer that. Maybe there's part. a... Maybe there's a whole Silicon Valley type model for ransomware. Like this is their seed round. Yeah, yeah. We're just gonna put this out to generate a yeah. little bit of funding. We, to we them. want, yeah. What is it? A the yeah, A round. Series A. Series A. <laughs> series B funding. For, <laughs> they need that Series B funding for 
AES encryption. There we go. Yeah, we were talking about this earlier, and I the the CLOP ransomware operation was new to me. Um, but Daniel had that joke like out the gate. Like yeah. he's he's put thought into this <laughs> already. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. already like prepared with this information. That's the first thing that came to my head. I was like, now what? so you go to the porn sites, <laughs> <laughs> you get the CLOP. <laughs> What will we do without you? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so continuing on with our, our security news, this next segment we have is called Behind Bars. Break the law and you'll go to jail. That's so true. Wow. Okay. So this comes from Krebs on Security. Am I pronouncing that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, it says, Finland's most wanted hacker nabbed in France. It looks like this guy has been convicted of perpetrating, it says, tens of thousands of cybercrimes, which to me sounds like a lot. Maybe in the cybercrime world, that's that's standard. I don't know. Um, been active since at least 2008, which, when he would have been like 15, I think. And he's been in hiding since October, and he was finally arrested. Yeah, yeah this is an interesting one. So the, the, the way they get to that many charges, uh, he was involved in a hack that uh, uh, was against a psychotherapy practice. Oh. So, you know, like a psychiatrist psychologist i think a psychiatrist yeah i was thinking a psychiatrist and uh, and he leaked the the psychiatric records for 22,000 patients and so they treat each one of those as a charge that's 22,000 oh, infractions okay. right there because okay. he he technically committed a crime against 22,000 people it's right. a big deal um, what i thought was interesting on this one was that the guy he he's a hacker whether he was talented or not doesn't really matter he was an active black hat hacker or a Unethical hacker? What's the term? Yeah, black days? hat. That's what black they call hat, threat right. actor. And uh, uh, and he was in hiding. Yeah. He was in hiding in France. And the way they caught him was A-hole. not the, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was not through some sophisticated thing where they hacked back or like you see on TV where they calculated routes and trajectories. They didn't bug him. Help me, him. Don. Take the other side of my keyboard while we hack this. <laughs> there person. we go. Yeah. So it wasn't like that. Instead. He was in a domestic disturbance or something where he was drunk. And, oh, yeah. And so the police were reporting on that, and then they identified him. So, like, he was just randomly arrested. Right, because he was already on the run. Yeah. Right? Like, it, it's his first time, and he'd been like, hey, this guy's not awesome. We need to put him in jail. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to go over here, and then I'll be over there. <laughs> And so he ran. <laughs> yeah. And it, it does kind of show like he like Sophie said, he got his start when he was 15 years old uh, doing DDoS for hire. Right. So when we hear about some of these these malware services and DDoS and things like that, that it's kids running the running the show. So I read the uh, the advertisement that he ran for his DDoS services and he promised apparently 500 gigabits per second in DDoS. Somebody wrote, 500 gigabits bullshit. (laughs) Good luck with your advertising. (laughs) I guess that's a good point. Like 500 gigs is not going to bring down many sites. I I felt like they were uh, not, uh, they didn't think that he could pull that off. This was the way it kind of came across. Of course, that was in 2008. Oh, yeah, that would have right. been more significant back yeah. in 2008. Because yeah. today you hear about these, like, six terabit yeah. uh, DDoS attacks. Right. Um, hmm. Well, like, we were talking about pulse wave attacks the other day, and they were, like, 300 gigabits per second, and that was that was considered impressive. All right. As of, of 2021. Oh, I, I should have been more impressed yeah, then. Yeah. I guess I wasn't. <laughs> Probably because of his hair. Yeah. He does, <laughs> like, he looks like the guy you think of in your head <laughs> when you think 
finish cyberpunk. He makes me yeah. think of like a young Nick Nolte or Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hack these servers. 500 gigabytes a second, everybody. I, I don't know that I ever would have come to a young Gary Busey, but... But now that you say that... Now that you say it, I, I, yeah, I won't argue. Yeah. I can't say that you're wrong. There's no flaw in your logic, Don. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. He, he does he does look like what you would think of when you think of like some young dude that's just... Yeah. What do you Euro, call it, cyberpunk? Euro-trash cyberpunk. <laughs> Sounds like a band. It probably is a band. <laughs> if it's not, somebody get on that. Cyberpunk? Isn't cyberpunk a video game? Uh, it is. Yes. Cyberpunk is yeah, a video yeah. game. So we were close. We I think were it's close. also a genre and a fashion style yeah. i think it was been commercialized really? pretty heavily yeah, yeah. there's that- there is a musical like what is that thing where there's it's there's some strange dancing going on and some very odd costumes involved in the there's this subgenre of cyber steampunk no it's not no. steampunk no, no. no 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 this is look for like odd dancing cyber underground it is this is and I'm, I'm a little afraid the dancing is very interesting very, very interesting. Cyber goth? I think that's it. I, I, I see what I'm looking at the yeah. thumbnail for a video right now, and yeah. I already know what you're yeah. talking about. It is, it's like a lot of uh, yep, jerky there you're getting it. movements. You have yeah. seen this before. It is, see, yeah. th- here's what we, we just found something <laughs> out, is that in Sophia's previous life, she was a cyber goth. <laughs> Previous, yeah. You don't know what I do. Talk about this weekend. I got an underpass to go to. No idea. (laughs) After five o'clock, that is my time. Yeah, someone put some uh, four foot dreads in my hair with different braids and colors. (laughs) The black and white stripes. That's it. Dark makeup. I've got the red lips already. I'm ready to go. Rock. We learn so much. We do. We really (laughs) do. Yeah. You get a peek into my my psyche. I'm trying to remember. There was there was a novel that I read, um, and it was one of the things that kind of led to the cyberpunk movement like that mm. that, that concept has been around a while it means yeah. a lot of things so the yeah. the the video game that's just like a more recent iteration right. of that yeah oh okay but, i'm glad i could spark this conversation <laughs> I, it's killing me i can't remember the name of that novel it's um sounds like screw this stupid podcast i'm gonna figure this out it was a series of books william gibson there we go neuromancer Oh, uh, Neuromancer. You read Neuromancer? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that one, when did that come out? 1984. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of people credit that with the beginning of the cyberpunk movement. And I read Neuromancer, and it, it was a good book. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. it. It made me realize how unoriginal The Matrix was. <laughs> yes. When I saw The Matrix, I was like, wow, this is this is some really original stuff. And then I read Neuromancer, and I'm like, wow, The Matrix totally ripped <laughs> off everything. It's not original at all. Right. All um, our modern sci-fi is some derivative of Neuromancer yeah. and 1984 and... But the the follow up books, you ever Dune. read uh, Count Zero or Mona Lisa Overdrive? No, I did not not read the follow ups. Terrible. I mean, oh my god, it was so painful getting through those books. I slugged it through because you were committed. <laughs> I was committed. Yeah. <laughs> I, now I, you need to be committed. <laughs> it, it is. It's rare that I'll stop reading a book. Yeah. Like, if I've if I've started, I'm I'm gonna finish the thing. Um, there have been a few that I've stopped. Uh, the fourth book of Game of Thrones was one of them where oh. I just like that. That's enough. I'm stopping. <laughs> that's enough. Um, no moss. But yeah, yeah. I don't want to ruin that for people. You, I tell you got you why. further into Game but, of Thrones than I did. <laughs> yeah. Way further than me. I haven't read any of it. I haven't even watched the show. But yeah, so there we go. Okay. Today well, we learned. That was, that was a fun detour. It was. Now I, now I know what Cybergoth is. I know it has a name. Okay. Yeah. Oh, man. You are welcome. I, I got to see this because I don't, I don't know this one. <laughs> yeah. Cybergoth. Just, just, oh, geez. Just hit a video. Just the sound off. You don't need the sound. Just watch them it, gyrate <laughs> and undulate and... 
it, that is that is a real that is quite a good word for it. Yeah, okay. it, it really right. is um, undulation. Here we yeah. go. Here we go. It's Don's about to experience cybergon for the first time. Dude, so just to help our, our listeners yeah. out here, because I'm watching, it is bizarre. I, I'm assuming drugs are involved. <laughs> they haven't even started dancing yet, and he's already right. freaked out. He, he hasn't even gotten into. Is it? <laughs> is it drugs or is it uh, I, I don't know. just self esteem? I think that they're like, into this. <laughs> the 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 dance moves are very. Like almost like yes, like weird robotic undulations. All right, spinning arms. Hmm. Lots of arm spinning. All For right. those of you that play Fortnite, it looks like a Fortnite default dance. Ah. So to give you a little bit of context uh, behind what we're watching here, we should get TikTok to bring this back, right? right. <laughs> well, I think you might be a little late on that. I think it may have already happened. Well, so, yeah, anyway, it's, it's rare that TikTok doesn't have a trend for something. Yeah. Next week, right. I am expecting costumes. For yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, little, yeah, we'll get Dan to give us a performance. I need some uh, fishnet arm bangle yeah. things. Interpret. Hey, I like how you're pretending that you'll have to go out and buy these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get new ones. That's, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I've worn mine out. <laughs> well, that's that's going to do it for our behind bars segment. Uh, we're we're going to end up behind bars if we keep talking. So let's let's move into our next segment. This is tinfoil hat. Paul McCartney's been dead since 1966. Dogs can't see color. 5G causes syphilis. Do you understand that? Okay. Featuring the, what is that, the X-Files theme? Mm Mm-hmm. Don's personal favorite. There you go. So this is from, this is the people at CyberArk chatting our way into creating a polymorphic malware. So basically what they did is um, ChatGPT has uh, like content filters built in, right? So it won't do certain things. Don asked it to make a Yo Mama joke and I don't think it would do it. I asked it to do that a little bit ago (laughs) and it said, I'm sorry, I can't speak negatively of people. We need to build people. Like it would not do it. So it has content filters in place so it doesn't do bad stuff, but they were able to talk their way around it basically and get it to create polymorphic malware. I guess they learned from Microsoft sold chatbot right yeah <laughs> yeah if you if you leave it alone it'll turn into a yeah uh, like a, a Nazi. Comp, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so polymorphic meaning it would be pretty difficult to like detect this because you could just generate a unique piece of code every time using chat gpt yeah i mean really like a lot of the way that antivirus and anti-malware works is through signatures so right. they've found some malware out in the wild they take a hash of it they store the hash in a database, and then the software just scans any application that runs to see if it matches one of the hashes, and that's that. Well, the only thing stopping an attacker from getting around that is, well, they just need to go in and change a couple of bits, and now the hash is different, and they get around it. But it's constantly being updated as cat and mouse. You have an update day after day after day, and it's a nightmare to do it. Well, what if you could automate that process and have it automatically generating new, truly unique malware through an automated system. Apparently, ChatGPT is capable of that. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been able to do this in the past where uh, you can create malware that basically generates new malware code with completely different values and everything, so the hash is always different. That has been around, but the fact that they're incorporating ChatGPT into doing this, and even as, uh, from what I was looking at in the article, it almost looked like they were using ChatGPT as their malware dropper. Right, so it was dropping the malware, and it would create a new piece of malware every time. Like that was hashed differently. It did the same thing, but it was it was hashed differently. So it's using different variables and things to uh, make sure that those hash values change. And then that malware would reach out to a C two server and get command and control that way. 
So it was like a part of their attack chain. Like, I'll just use chat GPT right, so I'm, for malwaring. I'm, I'm confused on the attack vector on this okay. one, right? Because I, so I, what, what I saw was where they would basically tell it yeah. very, very strict. They, they had a way yeah. to talk around the safeguards to say, here's what I need. Yes. Um, and, or eventually they use the API to do it, right? right. And so then it would give them the source code that was the malware. How, that is correct. How would you, like, what's the attack vector to get an end user to get exposed to that? The same one, yeah. Email links. Um, so the, email, the link would be to ChatGPT? So you could do it through the API, right? Okay. So if you built a system that works through the API that would make that call, then yes, you could do it that way. But ultimately, you'd probably have it uh, compile a, a package. You, you would take the code, compile that, and then get somebody to run it as like a Trojan. Okay. Right. All right, yeah, let, me, let me give you a scenario here and yeah. you can tell me if I'm right or not because I'm, I'm trying to think of how this if it involves a user, they're doing it. <laughs> so I'm thinking drive by malware, right? Okay. So you've got a website that's yeah. set up to infect people as they browse by it. So if they scan their own computer, the website's not there, right? right? So there's nothing to find. Right. They browse to the infected website. Now, normally a drive by website would be handing the same malware out to every visitor, right? Right. But, but this with one this not. potentially it could be giving every visitor a different malware that all reached out to the same C2 mm-hmm. or yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, if you had a C2 farm, you could do different C2s to just kind of round robin that. But eventually, some of that traffic is going to get picked up yeah. by you know uh, people that are realizing things aren't going like we had hoped. All right, you know, I think they also their malware was a, um, a ransomware that they that they generated. So obviously, when it starts asking you for money. You'll you'll realize something's probably not right with your system at that point in time, and mm-hmm. and want to do it uh, or, or want to take care of that issue. But uh, ultimately, the fact that they're using ChatGPT bypassing the safeguards that have been put in place through their web interface to get it to give it co- give them code yeah. that can be compiled and run, and do it polymorphically. So that's what's interesting here. On a scale of one to ten, like what's our panic level on something like this, right? No, I'm. I would. I would think at this point, probably not much. Okay. And the fact that researchers are poking this with a stick to see if they can bypass these things like that—that's going to cat and mouse this with the developers of ChatGPT to go, oh, well, we've seen that these are the systems that people have used to bypass our restrictions. We need to, you know, fortify those things to make sure that that doesn't happen in the future. So yeah. we're going to see that, and that's ultimately this is a testing phase for ChatGPT. Ultimately, that this fr- I, I believe anyway that this free um, use of ChatGPT mm. is going away. Yeah, and oh. eventually you are going to have to pay for this as a service. So your name and everything. Plus, to use ChatGPT, you got to have a login. Mm. You got to be tied to it in some way. So there is a bit of a breadcrumb trail back to you, even if you do obfuscate that. Yeah. So I I know like when I look at this and I think about yeah. like, when do you need to be panicked? Um, ChatGPT is by a company called OpenAI. Yeah. But the word "open" doesn't actually mean anything in their title, so it's not right. open it's source. Not like open source. So yeah. they've got a fully trained library. That is what ChatGPT uses to be as effective as it is. Mm. Well, in time, other people are going to train their own libraries the same way, and those will be open. And it, we see all this in the graphics side, right? Because it, graphics came first. Um, yes. Like Dolly. The Dolly, and, yeah. Yep, those. So now we have Stable Diffusion, and Stable Diffusion is completely open. You can yeah. go and download the full trained library. I think it's only like four gigabytes in size, not even that big. That's not bad. Uh, and so you can run Stable Diffusion on your local machine, which means if you're an attacker, like let, let's say uh, there was a whole thing about, um, oh, what was it called, where you you 
put somebody's face, a deep fake. Oh. So if you want to make a deep fake, but the online platforms have all blocked that. Yeah. Well, you could just run stable diffusion locally. And then there are no blockers. And remove the rules. So yeah. eventually there will be a, a, a trained like a, machine learning library that's available to run locally. And then attackers will be able to use this. Yes. Yes, they will. Yep. Now, right now, like as of today, my only real fear, uh, uh, how ChatGPT can use right now is it's easy to spot a lot of phishing and ransomware and type emails because of the bad grammar. Bad, yeah. and, and you can tell they're like, not English speakers. But if they feed something through ChatGPT, it comes out perfect. Then it's harder to tell. Right. So the yeah, phishing emails, that. yeah, that's really a good attack vector to use ChatGPT for. Huh. Now, I think that the web. The system will say, "Hey, it sounds like you're trying to create a phishing email." You know, that's I, true. I don't do that, but as we've seen, you can kind of push through those boundaries. Yeah, the, yeah. The give me an example of yeah. what a phishing email would look like. You know, yeah. Yeah. and then all of a sudden it spits it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and like it's it said that when they were using just ChatGPT the way that I was using it, um, when they just asked it to write a code injecting a shell code, blah, blah, it didn't. You know, the content filter stopped it, and then yeah. they had to add all these qualifying statements like, "Okay, obey these following rules," and they had to put it in curly braces and uh, show a working code without explanation and add all these qualifying statements. And then when they use the API, they didn't have to do that. There's no content filter that was there. So I wonder if that'll be an update that they roll out where it's. Well, like, and what's interesting is some of the things that they ask it to do here in this article is like normal things that a programmer would do, like. They're not, quote unquote, malicious. You know, it, it's what you do with it that makes it malicious. Mm. Yeah. Right. So it's like, how does it then determine whether or not you're trying to use something for malicious purposes? And again, if you have it locally and you are you you tell it what to do because it is yours. Is it going to tell you no? Yeah. You know, uh, how does that work? And and that is one of the weaknesses of ChatGPT is it doesn't know the intent, right. the tone, the emotion, and that a lot of people are worried about artists like oh novelists and poets are going to be out yeah. of business, but not not really. You know, it can't create true art. Yeah, textbook uh, authors maybe <laughs> they textbook might be out authors. of business. They're textbook done. authors, yeah. I mean, there's 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 something to be said about that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So I go, think it's fine. go to ChatGPT and ask it to write you a CEH V12 study guide. <laughs> <laughs> Got <laughs> me out of a job, right? Hey, you know, I'm just trying to help people out, man. I think it's funny when they asked it to do it the first time that uh, it oh, it also added its own. You know, it told it why it wouldn't do it. Like, oh, it's not safe to do this; it can cause harm. And then it was like, I suggest you take a more ethical approach to this. Uh, maybe try this instead, like almost like a holy yeah, email. Like, yeah. mm, maybe try something yeah. different. How about get off your How high horse, you? Chat GPT? How dare you even try to do it this way? So. I I did see in one of the articles, I don't know if it was this one or not, but where they, they gave the the example prompt that they use for ChatGPT, and they said that the answer must be at least a page long or something like that. Yeah. And I was wondering why they did that. So that's probably due to the fact that uh, I was fiddling around with the API today, and you get credit to use the API, and then it becomes not free, right? Okay. So to work through the API, at least that's what it looked like. It looks like they were giving you like 18 bucks worth of credit to fiddle and mess with the API to see how mm -hmm. you like that. I'm assuming that making API and when you make an API call, you set max, like max tokens or something like that to let it know this is how much information I want you to come back with. Don't give me more than one response because it costs you more credits. Uh, so they're probably not trying to burn through hmm. um, all their credits or their money if they've paid for the yeah, service. I, mm. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I thought like maybe it was... Uh, you know how sometimes computers will write code and everything's on one line? 
So ChatGPT will also do, like if you ask it to write code, it will explain everything it's doing. Oh, it'll in the code, it'll, it'll, it'll add those comments. So it just makes it much more large. I, I like my malware to have yeah. good commentary, yeah, I commentary do. in there. I do. You know, yeah. <laughs> Here we are obfuscating. The- <laughs> <laughs> this is where we send your data to yeah, C2 yeah. servers. <laughs> yeah. Good times. So real quick, I do just want to give you all a reminder that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning and IT Pro. So if you are listening from technado.com, there's going to be a big orange button. It's very hard to miss. It says sponsored by IT Pro. And if you click that, it'll take you to the IT Pro website. Um, so if you do want to support the podcast, check out IT Pro's courses. And you can use that promo code Technado30 if you want a discount on the IT Pro membership. And if you can't get enough of that, uh, ACI Learning also has a webinar series that they do. So you can check those out at itpro.tv slash webinars, I believe. Um, so Dan and I do a cybersecurity one every so often. Often. Next one's coming up in March with Mike Saunders, right? Do I have that Mike right? Mike Saunders. Mike Saunders. So that'll be fun. So tune in for that. Um, and just, you know, you can check our socials, LinkedIn and everything to see what's coming up or check that webinar page. Um, and then also we've got an uh, in-person appearance coming up. I believe it's going to be next week. Uh, Ronnie Wong will be there. It's going to be at the MSP Expo in Fort Lauderdale from February 14th to the 17th. So great way to spend your Valentine's Day weekend. I promise. <laughs> um, so you can stop by, play the lock and key game that they have, maybe win a cool prize and of course meet the legendary Ronnie Wong. You do not want to miss that. So um, I think that's pretty much all that we've got unless you guys have any closing thoughts you'd like to impart. No, it was an interesting week. Uh, definitely. Mm-hmm. A lot of crazy stuff happened, but uh, I'm sure next week will be just as crazy. I wanted <laughs> to talk about the whole Netflix password sharing thing, but I was outvoted. So <laughs> maybe that'll be a, a segment for next week. We'll see. We'll see. It it may be a nothing. Start stopping you from starting your own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> will I get paid to do it, though? No. You know, it is funny because eventually. <laughs> normally, it, it's all like you shouldn't share your passwords, but... Netflix password sharing is the one that everybody's okay with. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, really yeah. Weird. yeah. Share, share. That's a good point. <laughs> like, yeah. is it a public service at this point? <laughs> it's a, yeah. That's a it's a basic resource: food, shelter, and streaming. Yeah, that's, that's streaming. a new resource. Yeah. So, all right. So that's going to do it for this episode of Technado. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next time. 